Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the reading of God's word. So let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and your grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we have this privilege to come together as a church to worship you. And we pray today that we would again just be reminded of the love that we have received, uh, the blessings that we have received from you as well. And Lord, we pray today that as we think of who you are, as we think of all that we have been given, that we would just respond with worship and love uh, for you and for our neighbors, Lord. Uh, we do thank you. We praise you. We pray this time will be truly honoring to you and a blessing to us. That you would encourage, you would convict, you would move us through your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, today we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, uh, you know, when Pastor Francis and I were just discussing, you know, sermon schedules and we're now we'll be preaching and I realized I was preaching the day before Valentine's Day. It's also Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and so I just kind of mentioned that to him. Oh, that's like right, right at Valentine's Day. So he kind of, I think he said it jokingly. He said, well, why don't you preach about something that's relevant to Valentine's Day? And so I thought about that. And I was like, you know what, that's true. Maybe I should do that. And, um, and so I thought to myself, well, when you think of Valentine's Day, you, you think of love. And so I, what a, maybe an opportunity to preach on 1 Corinthians 13, and so here we are, on 1 Corinthians 13, and this is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. You know, when you look at the Bible, there's certain chapters that people will talk about, you know, maybe like the faith chapter, and that's people talking about Hebrews chapter 11, you know, some of them talk about, you know, the resurrection chapter, they'll say, oh, 1 Corinthians 15, and when someone says the love chapter, generally, I think a lot of Christians would know they're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I remember growing up, there were two chapters in the Bible that I memorized, I think, the most. Uh, Psalm 23 from the Old Testament, and then 1 Corinthians 13 from the New Testament. I remember I was at a church where they would make, uh, the, the, the students may memorize 1 Corinthians 13, and if you could do it in like Korean and English, so Korean church, they would give you like extra credit, right? So you'll see these kids that can't even speak Korean to memorize 1 Corinthians 13 and 
you know, the Korean language and the English language. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's, um, it's a beautiful chapter, a chapter that you often hear at weddings. Uh, I myself, you know, in the weddings I've officiated, sometimes I have used 1 Corinthians 13. And, you know, you hear it a lot at weddings. You hear it, uh, you see it at a lot of people's walls when you visit. You'll see, you know, love is patient, love is kind. And it's a famous chapter. It's a nice, you know, especially verses 4 to 7, it kind of has a nice flow to it. It's like a beautiful thing, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. Sounds great. But when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you realize in the context of the book of Corinthians, this chapter is here really in some ways as a rebuke, right? Because Paul is talking to a bunch of people who are not very loving. They're very gifted. Uh, They're impressive in many ways, but there's a lack of love that is found in the church. And so really, 1 Corinthians 13 is here in a way to rebuke, but also to remind the Corinthian church, and really us as well, that we need to love. That if you don't love, that everything you're doing doesn't even mean anything because love is central. Love is foundational. Love is the key to really the Christian life And if you don't have love, as Paul says, you are nothing, you gain nothing, you know, it's it's pointless. And so today as we think about this chapter, you know, I have uh, really three three points. The priority of love, the description of love, and the power to love, right? The priority of love, a description of love, and the power to love. And so I want to look at those three points as we think about this chapter on love. And first, really, the priority of love. Now, little context here. Corinth, the city of Corinth, is in the middle of Greece, and it's what you would call a commercial center. Right? So at this time, uh, you know, in, this, in history, Corinth was a very important place in Greece. And so a lot of trade happened, a lot of things you know, went through Corinth. And so it was a place where you went kind of like New York City in some ways, maybe, where people would go to make money, right, to, 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 to make it. They would have high aspirations. And it was a place that was, you know, very important because when, you know, things were moving back and forth, it was a commercial center. Things had to go through Corinth a lot of times. And so you had a lot of people in Corinth who were fairly impressive. They, you know, were all about doing things, right, getting things done and making it, you know, with aspirations. So you had a lot of brilliant people, a lot of gifted people in the city of Corinth. And so obviously the Corinthian church had gifted people, had brilliant people, and you had people that really, you know, really wanted those gifts. We had people that wanted to be brilliant, but also in the midst of that, you see from that letter, the letters that Paul writes, that he has a lot of issues with the Corinthian church. He has a lot of rebuke for them, and, you know, he, he tells them that, you know, they're prideful, they're puffed up, they're rude. Right, there was a lot of fighting, there was divisions, there was jealousy and envy, there was strife. And so it was a very problem-filled church, right? It was people that were gifted, people that were impressive, people that were brilliant, but also a lot of fighting, rivalries, dissension, division, pride, right? You know, things that obviously Paul needed to speak into. And so in the context of this kind of church, Paul is talking to them and he's giving them the priority of love. If you look at verses 1 through 3, it's very obvious. He says, if I speak 
in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now think about that for a second. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Now he's not saying that he can talk in the tongues of angels, obviously, but what he's really saying is this. You guys, you know, you guys put a lot of importance in talking, and obviously in the gift, the spiritual gift of tongues, and, you know, maybe the, you get prideful because you think you're gifted more than somebody else because maybe you're more articulate, or maybe because you have a spiritual gift. And he says, look, you could have all kinds of tongues. You could even have tongues of angels. You can even talk like the angels do, whatever that means. But if you don't love, so I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise, right? I think scholars think the noisy gong, clanging cymbal might be referring to what happens in pagan, uh, you know, temples and processions where there will be this banging of these symbols and it was a part of their, I guess, part of their, you know, their worship to these gods. And he's saying it's, it's just noise. You could be as impressive as you want. You could say the things that you think are heavenly. You could sound like even the angels. And yet, if you do it without love, he tells them, it's just noise. And then verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith so to remove mountains but have not love, he says, I am nothing. He said, you know what? Not just tongues. You could have even prophetic gifts, right? You could have prophetic powers. How impressive, how awesome is that? You could understand mysteries and knowledge, right? You could have Bible knowledge that is amazing. You could know things that nobody else knows. And not just have prophetic powers, not just have knowledge, but if you have faith that can even move mountains, how amazing is that? Even with all of that, if you don't have love, it's even harsher here, right? It says, I am nothing. So really, he's talking about the importance of love. Without love, nothing matters. So you could talk well. You could have tongues, men of angels. doesn't mean anything. You could have prophetic power. You could understand. You could have faith that could move mountains. But if you don't love, you are nothing. And then verse 3 he moves on beyond gift. Now he's talking about action, right? All right, you think it's only about gifting. Let me tell you verse 3. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now think about that. It's a little shift here. Verses 1 and 2 were about gifting. Well, it's about, it's about you, right? It's about things you have, right? It's about your gift of tongue or prophetic power, your understanding. It's about even your faith. But now verse 3, he says, it's not just about gifts now. He says, even if you give everything you have, even if you become poor because you gave all your money to others that were needy, even if you were a martyr, or even if you were burned in the flames, that's impressive, right? Not only are you gifted, if you're, you know, maybe someone looks at you, oh, you're such a gifted person, you're, you're so impressive. But not just that, not, not only are you gifts, but you, you're so sacrificial, you're giving away all your money, you're even sacrificing your own body, you would even be willing to die for the sake of others. For God's sake, it looks like, even if you do that, but if you have not love, what does he say? I gain nothing. I mean, these are... I mean, I don't know if you realize, but these are really, really strong words. Now, obviously, gifting is a good thing, right? If God gifts us and blesses us with different gifts, praise God. Faith is important, of course, amen, right? Like, we want to have faith. 
And obviously, it's so important you have a heart of generosity to give away. And if I'm willing to die for Christ, even to deliver up my body to be burned for the sake of Christ, I mean, these are not bad things. These are all good things. Everything in this list are good things. And I, I would actually even argue as a Christian, if I know Christ and if I know what he has done for me, if I know what it means to be saved, to be forgiven, to know grace, I may desire to give things away, right? I should have faith that's strong, right? I should want to sacrifice for the sake of others, for the sake of the Lord, of course. But Paul's point is this. As good as these things are, if you are not motivated by love, it means nothing. It is nothing. You gain nothing. Now, to be honest, it's kind of scary in some ways because the implication then is that maybe I could do these things. Maybe I could have giftings that people are impressed by. Maybe I could do really sacrificial things and even give money away and, you know, really be a blessing to people in the way I act and the way I am and all of that. And yet it, it might mean I could do all that and just for show, maybe I don't have love. And that's a scary thing you know, even to think about. But the point that Paul is making is this. Love is so important even if you do all of these things that everybody thinks are so amazing and impressive, everybody looks up to, and every, even if people compliment you all the time, and even if you think you're great, in God's eyes, if you do all of these things without love, it doesn't even mean a thing. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. In God's eyes, it's, you are nothing, you gain nothing, you're just noise. Right? And then, you know, he kind of goes even bigger on that. If you look at verse 8, he says, love never ends. But then he says, prophecies, they're going to go away. Tongues, they're going to go away, right? He, you know, he said, we prophesy in part, but it's going to all pass away. So you, I know when I was a ch like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I grow up, right, I give these things up. And really what he's saying is this, all these things you have, these giftings, right? You know, the Corinthians really put a lot of stake in the gifting. They put a lot of emphasis on the gifting. He says, all those things, they go away. But he says, what lasts? Love. This is faith, hope, and love. They abide, all three of them. But what's the greatest? It's love. It's really what he's saying is love, love, love. And you know, the Bible's clear on that. Even look at the great commandment, which Jesus says, what is a great commandment? What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. What is a Christian life all about? It's about love. You think about Jesus, right? He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's love. The Bible says God is love. And so love, he's saying, is so important. That's a priority that if you do a bunch of other things and if you are a lot of things and you have gift things, all of that without love, meaningless, nothing. Love, that's what love is. That's what's truly important, love. So then, okay, so the priority of love, I think he's made that pretty clear in this passage, right? You need to love, but now let's look at the description of love. And you know, it's the beautiful part of this passage, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. 
beautiful picture of love, right? This is a picture probably you've heard at weddings, you know, you've seen in many places, you know, probably even maybe sung songs about it. And it is, a, again, a picture of love. Now, what scholars say, though, and, you know, when you read Corinthians, you see this, is that it's not just a beautiful little passage, it's really a rebuke. Because in the Corinthian church, there was a lack of patience. There was a lack of kindness. There was a lot of envying. There was a lot of boasting. There was a lot of arrogance. There was a lot of rudeness. There were people insisting on their own way, right? There were people who were ir irritable and resentful, right? There wasn't always rejoicing with wrong. There was rejoicing maybe with wrong, not enough rejoicing with truth. There were not enough people bearing things and, you know, and hoping. And, and so really, it's a rebuke. He's saying these things that you're doing, it's not love. These things that you're not doing, that you should be doing, that's love. And so it's really a rebuke in many ways. But he's saying this is a picture of love. And it's not just a list, right? It's not just a bunch of propositions. Love is patient, love is kind. If you look at this in the Greek, it's verbs, right? They're transitive verbs, and it's love is being patient, right? Love is being kind. And it's not so much a definition as it is a description of what love looks like, of what it should look like. And, you know, again, if you read most, a lot of scholars, they'll say, it is really a description of a person. And it's really a picture of Christ, right? And it says love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude, right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Really, it is a picture of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And is describing him. Why? Because he is the picture, the picture of love, right? When you love someone, you want to meet their needs, right? Love is other-centered. Love is sacrificial. Right? Love is not a manipulative. Love is not about me, me, me. Right? A lot of times I think when we think of love, we think of love as if you make me happy, I'm going to be nice to you, right? If you do what I want you to do, then I'll bless you, right? I'll, of course, I'm going to love you. Right? I want you to make me happy. I want you to give me comfort. I want you to do what I want you to do. And as long as you do those things, I'm going to love you. But the minute, the second, the day that you don't bless me in that way, we're done. That's not love. Love is saying I want to meet your needs. Love is saying I want to bless you. Love is saying I want to be about you. It's not selfish. Love is selfless. And we see this perfect picture of love Obviously, in Christ. The problem, though, is this. When we look at this, these verses, these verbs, we're, we're not that, right? I mean, I look at myself, and I put my name in there. Often, it's kind of like James is not patient, right? James is not kind. James does envy, and he does boast. He, James is arrogant. And, you know, and we go on and on. A lot of times, we are kind of like the Corinthian church, we're the opposite. Now, obviously, at times we are patient, at times we are kind, at times we are these things, but not consistently, not all the time, and often we fail to be this picture of who we are called to be. And yet, again, when we put Jesus in here, he's a definition of love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. You know, they say love is patient. You know, if you translate it, it's kind of like love suffers long. 
Of course, Jesus is a suffering Lord. Look at the cross and his suffering. Think about kindness. We say Jesus, you know, love is kind. Kindness is love in action. When I show you love through the things that I do, what greater kindness is there than our Savior who shows his love by literally dying for us on the cross? That's kindness. Love does not envy, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, right? Love does not insist on its own way. And so we see these beautiful things and we see a picture of Christ. So we see a quality of love. We see this beautiful description of love. But here's the problem. When I look at this description, it's kind of depressing because I look at it and I think to myself, man, when am I going to get there? How do I become consistently patient? You know, I actually used to think I was pretty patient. I did. And I had kids. And I was like, man, like, it's hard to be patient. You know, my daughter is only four. And, you know, my wife knows it. And there are days just my, t- my patience is tested. And I'm like, oh, you know, you're so adorable. You're so cute. You're so, but, you know, why do you have to be so sinful, Right? And then that reminds me actually of myself, and I think at me, and I'm, I guess, better at maybe covering those sins, but I see that sinfulness, and yet, then I'm reminded how patient God is with me, and obviously that kind of makes me want to be patient. And so that goes to this point, we have the priority of love, we have a description of love, well, then how do I do it? Lord, I'm not patient, I'm not kind, I am rude, I'm so arrogant at times. I insist on my own way. I don't want to do it their way or your way, I want to do it my way. I can't help but envy. I look at people that have nice things that seem to be doing better than me, and I want to be happy for them, but Lord, I just, oh, you know, it irks me. I wish they weren't so impressive. I want to boast. But when I'm sitting with my friends, when I'm sitting with people, I just want to tell them about how amazing I am. I want to boast, right? It's hard to bear. It's hard to endure, Lord. I am irritable, especially if I didn't sleep enough and things aren't going my way. I can be very resentful. I do keep a record of wrongs. How do I love, Lord, the way you have loved me? And so part of the description of and really lastly, power to love. I think if we look at verse 4 to 7, And if you look at it as, oh, Jesus is loving, and if you look at this example, and I want to be like Jesus, I would say that would be terrible, right? So if I look at verse 47, oh, Jesus is patient, and Jesus is kind, oh, I get it. And so, you know what, I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to be kind, and I'm not going to be rude, right? I'm going to hope, and I'm going to bear. And if that is my attitude, then what's going to happen is, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to be kind. And I'm not going to be miserable. And I'm going to feel guilty. And I'm going to feel really, really bad about myself. And be like, oh, man, I can't believe I can't do these things. And so then I'm going to, you know. Or the opposite might be maybe I do become a little patient. Maybe I am somewhat more kinder than I thought I was. And I get all prideful, right? I look at me, right, Mr. Kindness. Right? Look at me. You're not patient. Look how patient I am, right? Look how, you know, not rude I am. I don't envy. I don't boast. And, and the problem is, that's not helpful. So what, what, do, what do I call to do? What I'm called to do, if I want to be as Christ-like in my love, is to know 
this love. It's to experience this love, right? It's to really have my life transformed by this love. Because if you think about it, right, all of us, how do I become more loving as a person? I become loving as I receive love, right? If you talk to, you know, psychologists, sociologists, right, like, if, if, if a child never receives love, even from a baby onward, that child is not going to learn to love, right? A person who has never been loved, they can't love. because they, they haven't, If they haven't experienced love, there's really no love for them to be able to give. You have to experience love. And so how do I become less selfish as a person? Right? When you're born, you're born selfish, right? You want what you want. But you look at any baby, it's all about me. You look at any child, it's all about me. But even that child, as that child experiences love and selflessness and sacrifice, and as that child you know, experiences all these good things, what happens is hopefully the child will learn to be a little more selfless. And hopefully as the child receives love, the child will be, as they get older, will be able to share that love with others as well. Now, obviously, the child could be spoiled and all that. But the point is, even from a sort of human earthly dimension, I think we kind of understand that if you want to be loving, at least to some extent, you have to have received love. As a Christian, here's the thing. My love for my parents might be nice. My love for my siblings or my friends or other people, in my life, those are all good things. However, that love is not enough to truly make me the kind of loving person that God would want me to be. However, if I am a child of God, here's what I know. I know that I deserve nothing. I'm a child of wrath. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. I know that all I deserve is condemnation, and I know the love that I have received. If I am a Christian, if I am a child of God, I haven't experienced a love that is so amazing that God himself will come into the world, right? The second person of the Trinity, that Christ himself came into the world, that he suffered, that he took my place on the cross, that he died the death that I deserve. And this description of love, I know that this, it happened for me. I am a sinner. I sin every day. And yet, Christ is patient with me. He suffered on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that he could be patient with me? He showed me the ultimate kindness on the cross. Christ did not insist on his way, but he did the Father's will at the cross. He was not irritable towards me. He rejoices with the truth. Christ bears with me. He endures all things. Think about what he endured on the cross for me, for you, for his people, and his love never ends. See, as a Christian, I look at how much sin I have, how just awful I am as a person, right? How filthy I was, and yet I think of what Jesus did and his amazing love that we see so powerfully at the cross. And when I meditate on that love, when I look at that love, when I sing about that love, when I read about that love, when I pray about that love, what happens is God comes and he turns this heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He softens my heart. He transforms me. And obviously I become a child of God, but he continues to work in my heart and my life. And so the more I know his love, the more I experience his love, the more I'm moved by his love, what happens is that this unlovable person can become more and more loving. 
That's what happens. It's not about me saying, I want to be like Jesus. No, it's about his love transforming me, changing me so that I can love. And so the more I know his love, the more loving I will be. And the less I think about his love, the less I meditate on his love, the less his love is moving in my heart, the less that I will love. So if somebody is next to me and I have a hard time loving them, well, what do I do? I pray on the gospel so that Lord help me to love. I'm with this person and they are testing my patience. They're annoying. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they act. And I say, Lord, help me to love this brother who is so hard to love. He's really testing my patience. But I look at you, Lord, how you suffer for me on the cross and how you are patient with this sinner. And as I think about that, help me, Lord, now to show that kind of loving patience to this brother. Lord, I don't want to be kind to this sister, right? It's hard. She's not very lovable. And showing kindness is hard. But I don't want to be fake as a person either. But Lord, as I think about the kindness, your compassionate kindness, you show for me on the cross. Help me, Lord, to be kind as I experience your kindness. Lord, life is hard. I don't want to endure I don't want to bear things and endure things as I think about just everything that I'm going through is so difficult, Lord. I don't want to be loving and enduring and bearing, but Lord, as I look to the cross, as I look at you who bore our sins upon the cross, who endured it, and who even said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Help me, Lord, to endure. And as, as I look to the cross, as I look at my Savior who bore, who endures, whose love never ends, I am able to love as Christ has loved me. And so my, my hope, you know, my desire is that all of us, you know, not just on Valentine's Day, but really every day, right, that we would look to Christ, that we would be moved and transformed by his love. And we will say, Lord, that you have loved me so sacrificially, so kindly, with patience. Help me, Lord, to love you and to love those around me. And I pray and I trust that as we pray that and as we look to Christ, as we experience his love, that he will supernaturally continue to move in our hearts so that we could be more and more and more loving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Father, it's, it's hard to love. Lord, it's a lot easier to be selfish. It's a lot easier to insist on my way than it is to be gracious to someone else. Lord, it's a lot easier to be rude than it is to be kind. It's a lot easier to be impatient. It comes naturally, Lord, than it is to be patient. But Lord, we look at our Savior. Father, we look to Christ and we see what Christ has done. We see Christ's love. And as we are moved by the love of Jesus, how can we not love as he has loved us? And so we pray, Father, that we, as your people, as your children, 
to look to Christ daily and being empowered by Christ's love that we would be Christ-like in our actions, in our love, and that we will live for your glory and we will live to bless those around us with your love. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray.